Randall Robinson founded the Trans-Africa Forum in 1977 and served as its president until 2001. A native of Richmond, Virginia, and a graduate of Harvard Law School, Mr. Robinson has written several books about the black experience in the United States, South Africa, and Haiti. 20 years ago, he decided to emigrate to St. Kitts, the original home of his wife, Hazel. In 2007, we talked with Randall Robinson about his reasons for leaving his home country. Here's a portion of that interview. You have a quote that a friend of yours said to you in your book on Haiti. Randall, you've got to let go of this Haiti thing. I mean, you've got to, just got to let go. Where was that? We had uh, Harvard Black Law students, alumni, Harvard Black uh, alumni at um, a program there, and I um, was honored, and I was asked to, to speak, and, and, and a lot of my remarks were about Haiti. Uh, this fellow was, uh, he's a very successful lawyer in Chicago, perhaps more of a businessman than, than a lawyer. Nice fellow. I've, uh, I like him a great deal, uh, but he, he, he doesn't know anything about Haiti or the large uh, significance of it and the significance of what he does not know. And, of course, that's been, uh, that, that's been uh, cleverly engineered as well. And uh, I, I, somehow I had irritated him, um, and he, he couldn't contain it. And I had raked over something that, uh, that uh, bothered him, and he said, you've just got to let this thing go. And uh, it, uh, it bothered me uh, a, a great deal uh, that uh, he would say uh, something like that. And it largely, it was kind of fruit of uh, ignorance that, um, that I think cripples so many um, Americans about a situation we all ought to know a great deal more about. My friend who made the remark that, uh, that disturbed me at the Harvard function obviously doesn't know that the Haitian Revolution is the first and only successful slave revolution in the Americas. And it signaled the end of slavery throughout the Americas. An army of ex-slaves led by Toussaint Louverture, an ex-slave himself, and Jean-Jacques Dessalines defeated armies of France Spain and Britain in a twelve-and-a-half-year war. 465 slaves in Haiti at that time. It was the most productive, profitable French colony in the world. 465 slaves, 1,000 slaves, almost immediately 40,000 of them joined the revolution. 150,000 died in a war that lasted 12 and a half years. Napoleon ordered that all blacks over the age 
of twelve be exterminated. Thomas Jefferson said that Toussaint should be reduced to starvation. George Washington lamented this impulse of the slaves and hoped it would, hoped it would not be infectious. The United States recognized the new France after their revolution. Not only did not recognize the first free nation in the Americas, because the United States was not free, 13% of its people were slaves, but did not recognize Haiti and imposed sanctions on it, a global embargo, until the Emancipation Proclamation over 60 years later. France imposed sanctions on the new Haiti, $21 billion until 1915, 111 years after their successful revolution. Haiti was paying out 80% of its public resources to do debt service, to, to meet debt service on loans that they were forced to, uh, to arrange from American and French banks to pay these reparations to France. The only case in history where a, a successful nation was caused to pay reparations to a losing nation. And so there's been this it's been uninterrupted, unbroken tide of revenge from the Western community against Haiti for their successful revolution. But it is that revolution that freed us all. Freed South America. Haiti provided arms to Simon Bolivar, a printing press, all of that. That revolution, the most important revolution in the history of this hemisphere, was pulled off by ex-slaves in Haiti. Toussaint Louverture should be a household name in the United States, especially for African Americans. No one's ever heard of him. Uh, you wrote a book called Quitting America. Uh, at the time, Talked a lot about leaving this country, going to St. Kitts. What's the impact been on you? When did you do it? And do you still have any connection to the United States at all? Yes, uh, I have some. But my mother and family are here. My mother's 93. I come back to see her. My sisters are here in Washington. I come back from time to time to, uh, to see them. My wife is from St. Kitts, and so it was a very comfortable move. We've been going there for... Uh, for 20 years before we decided to move there, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's terribly different from this kind of society. It's exquisitely beautiful, um, stunningly so. Uh, it, uh, it is a culture that is not at all commodified, so it is very unlike this one. It's not uh, narcissistic. Uh, like uh, this one is. It's left off some world maps. There are only 35,000 people there. But it has, uh, it affords a kind of intimacy with people you rush past in a big place. Uh, and so um, it's, been, uh, it's been very good for me. 
and uh, I um, I love it. It it allows, I think, people who are of a spiritual type to learn how to simply be and to um, to become self-examining and to relate in a more humane way to uh, to other people. And so it's it's been. It's been wonderful for me. What was the impact of that book that you wrote, which was, as you know, people characterize it as being angry. But you say, I read somewhere in an interview, that you personally are not angry, that you are happy. I'm extremely happy. And I'm, I've, um, people who disagree with me have, um, have observed often that um, a lot of my books are angry. Somehow, what people disagree with becomes a rant to them. I, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm not angry. But I suppose, in a certain way, I'm angry. About, I'm angry about a certain experience. Were I not angry, I'd be a lunatic. Uh, I, sometimes anger is appropriate. It's the appropriate response to things that uh, that are done that are cruel and, and and wrongful. But it's not the kind of anger that boils my uh, insides so makes me a less uh, balanced or thoughtful person no not not at all i wouldn't i wouldn't think so let's add up a couple quick things for say someone who's never heard of you uh how many years with trans africa that you founded 25 years what was the purpose of trans africa trans africa was to uh to galvanize uh, African-American support for American policy towards Africa and the Caribbean that were constructive policies and opposition to policies that uh, were not. And, uh, and that's what I did for, uh, for, for, for 25 years. When did you quit? Six years ago when, when, we, uh, when we left. And I simply wanted to... Uh, Take some time to write. I'll, I'll be 66 years old tomorrow, uh, and so time uh, passes. I, I wanted to think about things, and I wanted to live in a different place. I also wanted to, to, to have an experience that was unmarked by the burden of race. Um, it, it is a preoccupation of African Americans in an era uh, where mainstream America doesn't like to talk about um, uh, things that are unpleasant to it. It doesn't like to talk about what has happened to Native Americans. It doesn't like to talk about uh, the prison industrial complex and how this is a derivative of slavery. Uh, One out of eight prisoners in the world is an African American and what that means for the future of um, African Americans doesn't like to talk about things like that, um, and it it it's a wrenching thing to um, to 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 live in a country that uh, that really, in ways that are important uh, and central, is not a welcoming space for you. Well. In St. Kitts, you don't think about these things all the time. We also wanted our daughter, I think, to have um, a happy adolescence. Uh, she, 
She had always been a very good student. But you only have one adolescence, and it ought to be pleasant. And it's a, a very difficult thing for uh, young black men and women in uh, private schools in the nation's capital. You may get a good education, but you may not be so happy when you're getting it. And so she went to high school in, in St. Kitts. She, Why may you not be so happy? Well, one, there's a, in a society with a history like America's that does not want to talk about slavery and the continuing consequences of it, does not want to talk about continuing discrimination, does not want to talk about uh, the things that bother um, various elements of, of America's uh, populace. Uh, and so having a social experience in that kind of space is not always comfortable and easy. I, I, I do think the school she went to um, went out of its way to make uh, its black students comfortable. But it wasn't our culture. Um, what, one shouldn't have to make oneself over into something else. We ought to all celebrate each other's uh, culture. Uh, we should celebrate each other's histories. I mean, we should we should know as much about Africa and its antiquity as we know about Greece and its antiquity uh, for the mutual benefit of all of us. But we don't do that. Uh, we, we should know as much about the sort of circular um, spiritual philosophy of Native Americans and the naturalness of it and the role of, uh, of wood flute music and the way they see the world. We should know as much about that as we do about um, Western religions. We should know as much about African religions as we do about uh, our established religions. But we don't care about anything but those things that have to do with the American mainstream and their relationship to those places that they came from. That's a stinging constant, unbroken rebuke to everybody else who lives in this space. And so um, the experience that my daughter's had is a bicultural, a binational young woman has been a wonderful experience for her. And, um, and she had a wonderful education in a, in a public school poor with facilities, rigorous in, uh, in its uh, work ethic. Uh, and, uh, and, and she has done well, and now she's ready for college. And so we, we made the right decision. What's the racial mix in uh, St. Kitts? Oh, it's virtually all black. What's the, what does it feel like for someone who grew up in a... I know you <clears throat> didn't meet a black person, I mean a white person, until you were, what, in college? I was in the uh, um, Harvard Law School. I never sat in a classroom right. next to a white until I was 26 years old at Harvard. I met uh, whites when I went into the uh, army. Uh, when I was uh, I was drafted when I was 22. So that's when I 
met. That's how rigid uh, segregation was. So what's it like living in a virtually all-black society for you now? It's, uh, it's good because you don't walk around with the, uh, with the heavy weight of, uh, of, of race on you all the time. Think about all sorts of uh, other things. One shouldn't have to think about this thing. One shouldn't have to be that defensive. One shouldn't have to have sort of pre-prepared reflex uh, governed responses to things that happen. Uh, you know, buttons that are punched that make you respond in a certain kind of way because these are defense mechanisms. These things wear you out. Um, they sap your talent uh, and destroy your energies. And, uh, and, and they, they warp people into other things. And the society just massively ignores that these things are, are going on. Not just towards blacks. Uh, that is our problem, largely in the world, in my view. We uh, are inclined to ask what happens, but are very disinclined to ask why. We, we uh, saw a poll the other day, two-thirds of the American people believe that uh, what we're doing in the world, the sort of transmission of our cultural uh, attitudes is a good thing. And uh, at, when countries were polled, including many countries that are allies of ours, uh, exactly the reverse w was true. Now, if we are loathed in the world, you, you would think we would be disposed to ask, why? What is it that we're doing that causes people to... Uh, to loathe us. What do you think it is? Well, it has something to do with this kind of smothering narcissism that I was talking about, kind of arrogance. Uh, uh, one can't count the times that Americans say that we're the best country in the world. What a marvelously stupid thing to say. Of all the countries in the world, Everybody thinks the country is pretty good. Why do we have to believe that we're the best? What does that, what does that mean? And why do we have to assert it all of the time? And, and what does it mean to other people who consume it? American Products go around the world, uh, information products go around the world. So you're observed by people in every corner of the world. And we teach them not to like us, gratuitously. Somehow we never can turn it around. What if we were occupying... What if people from another place who spoke a language different from ours had a faith different from ours, had a culture different from ours, occupied us? What would we feel? Why can't we do that? 
why can't we do the transference? I, I, I don't understand it. Americans find these things different, difficult to see through, I think, because we are a terribly ignorant society about global affairs and other cultures and other peoples and other ways of doing things and seeing life because we have to believe we're the best. Thanks for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at podcasts at c-span.org.